Hello, and welcome to episode 65 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, May 13th, 2021. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Everything here is good. No complaints, just fine. Super foggy, though. Are you fogged in? Obviously. Yeah. I figured as much. If I yeah. am, you are. For sure. All right. Well, let's let's get uh, let's get chatting. Hopefully, it might <laughs> is not at the right height today. So um, we'll see how this goes. You might hear some squeaking. Uh, but we will have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, including at last a review of Simply Julia, and on the nightstand. And then it's our bingo kickoff. It's not actually starting yet, but we have to get ready. So we're looking forward to that. So on the needles, I don't know what's happened. I have so much knitting and I really shouldn't. So that's kind of interesting. I'm not sure if it was spring and I just decided to cast on all the things or I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, so there's a lot. I have not finished my cardigan, first of all. It's the important thing because... I don't know, because I've been casting on all these other things, even though I really want to be done with it. And I have another sweater that I want to cast on that I bought a kit for. If I, is it is it still sock time. season? It Well, it is sock season, but... Okay. And I will talk more about that. But I'm in a break right now, waiting for the next round to start. And it was also going to be 86 at my parents on Mother's <laughs> Day. So I wasn't, I wasn't going to be wearing any kind of cardigan, even a light fingering weight open one so you know I think that happened and then I had gotten to the point like the body once you get going is pretty you just go and then you get to the part where you have to pick up stitches for the sleeve and then you had to do short rows for the sleeve cap and then you had to do decreases so there was a little more thinking and it didn't even take long but I had to sit down and look at the instructions and pick up stitches and that never works out perfectly the first time so that took a couple of times and then I finished the first sleeve, which was ended up being really fun because you do a fade with the two colors. So the, the sleeve ends up with a blue cuff, which was, that was enjoyable. But then it was like, oh, pick up the stitches for another sleeve and then do the sleeve gap and the short rows. Nothing that was complicated. It just wasn't really easy. It wasn't, an, it wasn't entirely brainless, I guess. So that kind of slowed things down. And then once I finish the second sleeve, the next thing is going to be picking up a bajillion stitches for the button band, which will also be fun because you do a fade on that as well. So I'm looking forward to knitting that. I'm not looking forward to picking up, as I mentioned, a bajillion stitches. It might be a few less than a bajillion, but basically that's what it is. But that is my Golden Poppy cardigan by Noriko Ho in the Black Squirrel Wesley Merino sock yarn. It will get there someday. Someday soon. So Sock Madness... As I said, we are currently in a break. I finished round three. I made it to round four. So that was exciting. The pattern this time was Belief in Yourself by Annette Schleicher. It was super crazy color work and brioche and lace and so many things. And I talked about this last time and that I had thought it was pretty hard for a round three sock or definitely harder than it had been in the past, but you know, I had taken a few years off. Maybe things have gotten more complicated. There's definitely more people. You have to keep everyone interested. 
but then people on my team were talking about it and they all thought that it was absolutely harder. And in fact, the moderators agreed they extended the round by three days because so many people weren't finishing. They wanted to give as many people as possible a chance to finish. Has that ever been done before? The well, extension? No, but the, the two week rule is still fairly new. Mm. It used to be, you know, it just went until the, when there were many fewer people, it would just go until all the spots were filled. And then it started, you know, when it got to 15 teams, you would get people on the slower teams that just, you know, had too much stuff going on and harder than they were comfortable with. And they just, they knew they wouldn't finish in time, even if they did spend all their time knitting and they would kind of drop out and you couldn't get in touch with them. So how much time do you give someone? Are you still working on it? Like we need to move it along. So they went with the two week limit, you know, maybe four or five years ago, mm, just okay. to keep things moving along, which everyone in general is fine, right? is generally enough time to finish even on the slowest teams. This one clearly was not, and a lot of people were just losing their minds. <laughs> the, the moderators were like, hey, we misjudged. We're going to give you some extra time because you want, you want people to keep playing, right? It's not, it's not fun if people can't participate. And their goal is not to knock people out and make it unfun. It's to learn new things and, and feel like you've accomplished something. And so they, they wanted to make that happen. So, and my team finished first. No way. So crazy. We're all like, what just happened? <laughs> How are we the fast team? I mean, we're one of the faster teams, but actually being the first to fill all its spots. And there were some teams that didn't even have any spots filled. We were like, wow, that's pretty crazy. So that was exciting. That's awesome. Yep. Goal my team. <laughs> yeah. So then that one, how long did that take me? A little over a week. I think I finished 21st out of 30 spots. So that was fun. But so then I've been on a break. So I've been working on the sweater a little bit. I've been working on uh, the socks for Simon on my nine inch cirques a little bit. I also randomly cast on a shawl. And literally that's as far as I got because it was a 350 something stitch cast on. And then I was done for the evening. <laughs> so <laughs> totally new shawl. I have shawls that I've been working on that I want to finish, but I just decided, nope, this is what my heart wants to do right now. I'm going to do it. So it's the, the Go Tell the Bees shawl by Michelle Bernstein. The yarn is Sincere Sheep Eureka Fingering in a gradient called Brave Enough, which goes from yellow to purple, or I guess purple to yellow, depending on which end of the skein you start from. Part of the Made Here Club that I, I joined this year. And so you get the her yarn, which is naturally dyed, and the wool is all made in America and processed and all that good stuff, and then locally made, and possibly even in California. And then also you get a pattern and local goodies. So like we got a, a bag for the club, and then we've gotten some handmade soap, natural sponges, lip, I'm going to call it lip goop because my mind cannot think of what the actual word for it is, lip balm. That's what we <laughs> So, you know, fun little things like that. Um, and then beautiful yarn. I love her yarn is always, always so nice. And so I really just, I wanted to start this shawl. It's, it's a long crescent shaped shawl and with a B pattern down the middle and then all along the edge. So I thought that would be fun. And most shawls start at the top. So you cast on a few stitches and then increase. This one is really interesting because it starts at the bottom. You cast on all the stitches. You basically do the lace edging first 
and then decrease, I guess, although it's pretty, it's a pretty wide crescent. So I don't know that we'll actually decrease all that much. So that was also why I didn't really continue with the knitting because you go from this huge cast on to doing lace. And I think at that point it was 10 o'clock at night. So it was not a good thing to get started, but it's sitting there, it's waiting for me whenever I feel ready to get back to it. And the cast on is often the hardest part. So, so that one's waiting for me. And then I also had a friend's birthday. Uh, so I wanted to knit socks for her. I had a plan and that plan was to knit uh, monkey socks for her by Cookie A, which is a classic pattern that has been knit a bajillion times. If you've knit socks, you've probably knit these socks. So I was going through my stash, trying to find some yarn, and I thought I would use a nice variegated because it's often hard to find patterns that work with variegated yarn. Variegated yarn, you always want to buy it because it looks so gorgeous in the skein and hard finding a pattern that works with it is tricky. Monkey socks is one of those patterns for which it will work. So I found a skein of Three Irish Girls Culloden Sock. It is very old. I don't even have what year I bought it, which means I probably had it before I went on Ravelry. So I, I didn't even, like when I joined Ravelry, which was fairly early on in my knitting career. So I don't know. I mean, this is probably at least 2010 that I got this. Yeah. It's almost like an archaeological dig at this point when you're reach that depth of your yarn collection. Yep. It is, it is way old, but still beautiful. Still great yarn. <laughs> yeah. The colorway is, oh, what a beautiful morning. And it's blues and yellows and greens. And I think there's some white in there as well, but it's lovely. So I started knitting and that monkey pattern is so awesome. It's this great lace pattern that you can memorize really quickly. It goes super fast. It's just a wonderful basic sock pattern. So I thought those would be great for my friend. And as I'm knitting it, I was just like, eh, this is not what I want at all. I want these socks, but this is not, it's not, it's just not, it's not the feeling that I wanted for her birthday for this particular friend. So I put those aside and then I decided I would go back to the cardigan and I will get to her birthday socks at some point because we already had the birthday, so they weren't they weren't happening in time. And even the monkey socks, I don't think I could have finished in time and gotten blocked and all that good stuff. So, so those are sitting to the side now, taunting me as well. Those will happen and those will be lovely at some point, just not right now. And then I had forgotten, I also signed up for Sarah Shira Imagine Landscapes Mystery Gnome Along number six. So I'm working on another gnome, not G-N-O-T, just another gnome. A uh, very cute cable spring gnome. And I'm enjoying this. I'm using, I went through and picked out a bunch of leftover yarn. She partners with dyers to sell kits, of like mini skeins t- for the gnomes. So I kind of looked at one of those, like which one she used for her samples. And then, you know, the other ones. And they were mostly a really pale, like a whiter gray for the, the beard. And then for the body and the hat were kind of a lighter and darker shade of the same color. So two greens, two blues, whatever. So I went through and found two pinks. So the hat is going to be a very light pink, the leftover yarn love Juliet in the fable colorway that I used for my Senzun Zakura socks recently, which is this nice light pink with little flecks of magenta and gold, I think. And then I found a hot pink leftover, I think is plucky. It's from plucky yarns. Um, I think it's their feet. It's our stock base in Miss Manners, but it is a hot pink. So 
this is going to be a very springy, springy gnome with a little bit of the pep. I've only had two clues for that, but I figured I should get going on that before because that one, this is going to be a fast round. I think this is, this will be the round that we should probably close out. This is the playoffs. Well, no, this is round four. There's seven rounds total. So we're going down. Oh, that's to, right. We're going down to 20 people from 30 to 20. So this should be pretty quick. I think the first two people on our team to finish four days, maybe. And then I finished in 21st place, which would not be fast enough in this round to give me a spot in, I want to say seven or eight days. So it will definitely be a little more of a push in this round to make round five. So we shall see. Yeah, so my knitting has just kind of been all over the place, but but fun. What has been on the easel? Well, a little sewing update. It's May, and some people follow the Me Made May group that runs on Instagram and elsewhere, blogs and that kind of thing, which is mostly sewing, but I think any any kind of may, handmade garment. Knitters do it too. Yeah, I've seen knitters. Although there so, is, you know, there's crossover. Exactly. I am, I'm not super, I'm not super into it right this minute. Cause we, we have a lot going on, but I did finish up a pair of pants that I was working on and I put them on and I was so happy and I love them and they fit great. And then I wore them around for a day and I realized that maybe the fabric recovery is not, I need to do more research about this. So it's great to buy a pair of like performance pull on pants and know that they're going to stay put, you know, but when you're making your own fabric recovery is part of it. Like, do the knees get baggy? It's kind of like, you know, linen gets super wrinkly and those things matter for me, like how much I'll wear them. So I've discovered that these pants, it, it's like a really gorgeous Ponte fabric, which has some elasticine in it. And the recovery, it, it's like, I think what'll happen is when you pull them out of the dryer and put them on, they might feel a little bit snug, but within an hour, they'll be great. So they have a limit. It's not like they get bigger and bigger as the day goes on, but they do sort of relax once you put them on. I have jeans like that. Yeah. I do too. And I think it's kind of irritating and you think to yourself, oh, I wish I would have bought them a size smaller or whatever. So what I want to do with these pants, even though they were like perfect when I first put them on, they're just a little bit big after an hour of wear. And it's not, like I said, it's not like they get baggy as the day goes on, but the fabric has a window of recovery. So I think I'm going to take them in a little bit, which means taking them apart. I need to take them in in the waist and, and through the hip. And I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do that. If I'm going to cut them up and sort of rebuild them from a certain point. Um, it's no big deal. I mean, it's just fabric. It's not like pulling out actual stitches. And I did them all on the serger. So it's great. You know, when you finish a seam, oh, it's done. Right. So it's, it's really clean. And they feel awesome. They're just a tiny bit too big. So that was, I think, kind of a good success because I've been wanting to finish them and I have fabric. It's a, it's the same type of fabric, but it's a different manufacturer. So I'm not quite sure how that fabric will recover. It's just 
part of the process of learning how to sew your own clothes. So that's that was happening a little bit around here. And then I'm also, I'm still working and loving the oil paint. I was getting like way frustrated, way ahead of myself. And now I, I think I've calmed down a little bit and I'm content to just paint daily, go back to what I know. And while I do not love everything that I'm painting, I feel like, oh, I've been here before. I know that I need to do this kind of practice to learn how this paint functions under my hand with my brushes. And and so I haven't made any big changes to how I'm approaching it. I, I did take away some of the paints so that my palette was simpler. And I took away some of the brushes that I had a hard time controlling. So there's, there are these brushes that are basically like boar hair. They're really rough and I'm not accustomed to them at all because I, they're not used for gouache or watercolor ever. They're just super rough. And so I have not a lot of experience with those as a tool and I've pulled them out of the circulation because I'm not getting the clean strokes that I'm accustomed to and that I'm looking for with the oils. So I was really kind of struggling. And so now I feel like I've gotten rid of some of the things that I really don't like, the, some of the indecision stuff and the tools. It feels weird to say, but I'm kind of back to basics, like painting birds and animals and subject matter where I have comfortability for paint mixing and how the contours work and drawing and, and just learning how the oils behave in this capacity. I feel like all of those abstracts that I was had my sight set on have taken a back seat right now, but it's two different worlds. And I don't know, I'm just really curious about oils. I like how you're, you're taking out variables, right? Like you're, yeah. instead of learning 50 new things, you're bringing it down to one or two. Right. Which I just feels super helpful. And, and then yeah. once you get the process down, then you can expand. Well, yeah. Then. I mean, I was, I was getting way ahead of myself as my accountability partner pointed out. I was like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I made the studio solvent free and now I want to make sure that I'm using the most ecologically friendly substrate for this oil painting. And it's important for me. And because I was doing all of the research about being solvent free, I was coming across lots of material about that. So it was right in the forefront. And then I I just had to step back and realize that I have a lot of materials right here that I need to paint with and it's not buying anything and I already own them there. It's already a pad of paper. Like the best thing I can do is just use it. And so now I'm trying to use what I have and I have plenty. I did order a couple synthetic brushes to get me away from the, those boar's head, boar's head. That's a deli meat. It is indeed the boar's hair brushes. Cause I really just, or hog hair. I, I really don't care for those at all. Um, Are those what people usually use for oils or? I don't know. You can use whatever I, you want. I think that for me, what's important is that I, I need the tool to be able to perform the way I want it to. 
and that one doesn't. So it gets one, whatever, it gets its name on the board there. And then the other problem, I, I really want to be as sustainable as possible. And it does bother me that it's an animal hairbrush. So that's another check mark against it, if you will. Now I own them from days of yore, basically. Some of them are my grandfather's and they are in some of them are in rough shape and some of them are fine. And maybe they'll work their way back in, but for now they're just not, they're not working for me. So the oil stuff is happening. It just feels really slow compared to my gouache pace of things, but I have been using gouache for the gouache grid stuff and my sketchbook, which I'm trying to fill like a giant sketchbook up in May. And so our gouache grid for May is houses. I'm doing San Francisco houses, which some of them fit great into a little square, you know, those nice little square houses, not the, not the tall Victorians so much. So I'm having fun using the gouache. There's some short the Victorians. Really? Where? Oh, in Noe Valley, maybe? Yeah. yeah. That's fun. I should go walk there. And people don't like to have their houses photographed, though. I, oh, I have no. learned. Yeah. We were walking in the, in the inner sunset, and I saw a house green with yellow trim. And I got really excited and even moved across the street to take a picture of it. And I looked at it, and I thought, I have painted this before. And I scrolled back through my photos and I did, I had painted it for when I was doing that hundred chromatics two years ago. Wow. Like the same. So funny. That is. So, so yeah, gouache grid is houses and I'm making sketches and sort of getting organized for that. Cause it, it does take a little, it's like a little bit of a puzzle. And then I'm also working on a newsletter and this is, this is going to be kind of a slow boat to a newsletter because I want to, I want it to be a Courtney newsletter. And so I made this model letterbox and it has like a little mouth on it. What? It's adorable. Like, um, Why? Well, my thing with the newsletter is nobody likes email. Nobody likes getting email, right? I mean, I like getting good email. Most right. of it is not. You want it to be different. And you don't want it to be annoying. And so if in a perfect world, I would send people a real letter, newsletter, you know, with a stamp on it. And it would come to you on a guy riding a pony with his letter bag. And, you know, that isn't going to happen. So. And we are um, all the poorer for it. <laughs> I really want to do it on a horse bringing me a letter from you. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to make the email feel like that. You know, how would that feel to get a letter from a guy on a horse with his letter bag, come up to your house and hand you a Courtney Spillane newsletter? All to say, it's a fun, creative project and it will still be digital, but I'm trying to make it a little bit fun in a way. And if you're interested you can sign up for the newsletter on my website. It's like the only thing on my website. And I'm kind of waiting until I get a certain amount to send out this first one because it's going to be fun. And then we'll see. But 
it will, you know, because Pony Express takes a while. Oh. Um, so it won't, it, you won't be bombarded. Right. But okay, why the mailbox? Did we cover that? Well, you have to be able to put, I don't know. <laughs> Monica. Sorry. I don't know. I'm, I needed, I'm looking for um, reasons. I needed, I guess I needed, I like to build things. So and something I need, you think. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I may not even use this thing, but it is cute. It's adorable. <laughs> and it's, again, four times the size. It'll go with the house that I built for my failed 100-day project. Yeah. It's four times the size as I intended because I clearly have a problem with scale. Also, 100-day project, not failed, reimagined. Yeah, it's okay. I'm okay with failure. Okay. Uh, so that's the, that's the update from around here. Just Mailboxes. Mailboxes, watercolor or um, oil sketches. Um, oh, mailboxes and, and deli meat. Yeah, mailboxes and deli meat. I have to tell you about the owls. I had this idea to do accordion owls. I felt okay. like this was needed in the world. So, like, Obviously. oh, okay, owls, yeah. like an accordion, I don't know, like greeting card or something. Yep. And so like I, paper, like uh, paper dolls when you do this, snip, yeah. pull the paper, snipping. Yeah, but else. Love it. Um, and oh then, my gosh. So I painted um, like a gouache mock up. And this is the struggle that I'm having, like moving oh, I'm between. I'm so sad that you can't see this right now. Oh, well, hopefully I'll be able to post the final, final. Yes. So this is the like sketch. It's not even the. But I thought it would be fun folded that like this guy on the back of his head can, mm. you know, you could do a yeah. message. So then I did it in oil. Ooh. And it's maybe not even as fun because the other one looks so like these guys look more real. They do. They're but beautiful. I have, wait, I have to wait for them to dry before I fold and and cut them out you know, cause the oil just mm. takes forever to dry. So I feel like it does get in my way a little bit, the oil process, mm. the dry, the drying time. It has been really damp. At some point, this will be like accordion, like the other one, and it can go like on a mantle or bookshelf, Yeah, but it's, it's also just paper and oil paint. So that's what I'm doing. I'm doing nothing. I'm nothing productive. I'm like drawing owls and making mailboxes out of cardboard. <laughs> well, it's like me with the 50,000 cast-ons. So apparently there's definitely something in the air encouraging. It is, it is good to be creating things yeah. for no other purpose than my own enjoyment. Yes. So very true. Yeah. No, I'm going to, I'm going to let that stand for the studio update. Cool. Works for me. All right, on the table. So one thing I have been enjoying, I upgraded my produce box to a bigger box because I found that I was only having two or three days worth of vegetables. And the fruit is nice, I mean, but we go through fruit, that's fine. So I just kept ordering an extra here, an extra there. So I was like, why don't I just get a bigger box? Which has been great because now if I don't know what to make, I'm just, I just look at what we have that I haven't used yet and I roast a bunch of vegetables, maybe cook some beans or some chicken thighs and 
it's a very delicious and yet not a lot of thought has to go into it kind of meal. So I've been enjoying that. Do you find that you get a lot of vegetables that you don't care for? Or are you no, pretty? Because we get to pick them out. Oh. Yes. So they they give you a, a list of fruits and vegetables and you have points that three or four apple, you know, it's like a pound of whatever, basically. So you get to pick what you want. So no, I don't get things. Although I will like sometimes I will try something new and then we get it and I don't quite know what to do with it or it's not quite what I thought it was going to be because I didn't fully figure out what it was. I just thought, oh, that sounds new and different. I'll try it. That's the point. I don't always need to get broccoli. It's been good. We're moving into strawberry season. So that's exciting. And fava beans. I remember to order fava beans this time. So You like fava? We've been through this, but I guess I do. They're a yeah. lot of work. They're a lot of work. So that, that, that is an issue, but you know, I don't know that I would want to have them every night, but I do enjoy them. Yeah. So I'm, I'm back on my sauce kick because of this vegetable roasting thing. So I made a Peruvian green sauce because Jenny Rosenstrach told me to. She had dinner love story. She was like, I made salmon and potatoes and this great green sauce. I was like, oh, that's what I'm going to make. Sounds good. And I did. So the, the sauce is from Skinny Taste. It's this lovely bright green. I think it has mayonnaise and cilantro and maybe some jalapenos. It was, it was bright and zippy and just very tasty on the aforementioned salmon and potatoes. So, so I'm trying to remember what other sauces I've had that I've really liked because I was trying to, to do that sort of vegetable and protein and dump a bunch of sauce on it. So I've, I've got to go back through my notes and see, see what other ones we really liked. Cause I know there's, there's, I know there's some others out there that I've talked about that I really liked and now I can't remember. So <laughs> to go, if anybody remembers which ones I really liked, please let me know. Then I made a rhubarb cake with sumac crumb, which was delicious. Uh -huh. everything. So good. So snacking cakes. This one has been on my radar since I got it, but it was the fall, no rhubarb. And then I kind of forgot about it because, you know, I don't look through it every day, but I had some rhubarb leftover. I had bought a whole bunch and I used it. Uh, I made a cobbler last week. And I still had a little bit left over. So I was trying to figure out what to do with it. Looked through the book and there was the recipe. And yes, so it's it's a basic crumb cake, but it's got rhubarb in it, super moist. And then the crumb, you, you know, it's a basic oatmeal, brown sugar, all those delicious things, crumb, but you add a decent amount of the sumac. So it gives it this really nice tang and brightness, but you don't, you don't taste it so much that you are thinking, what is this? It's just... Ooh, that's kind of delicious. I would have maybe put a little more rhubarb in it. My husband thought it was enough. It was not overly rhubarby. I think the cake could have handled a little more, but then it would have been a different, different kind of thing. That was kind of my my cooking world. I love the sumac though. Yeah. Addition. It was really nice because she says if you don't have sumac, you can use like lemon zest to give it that brightness, but I do have sumac. And I really like it. What about you before we get to our review? I can't wait to talk about the book that we're going to talk about. However, I forgot to mention on the easel that I have picked a new country for Lemon Latitude. Oh, right. It's a big reveal. Yeah. And I have been sketching for it, but I haven't really posted anything new. However, 
I did get a cookbook for this yes, great adventure. And I've been reading for this great adventure. And I got the Outlander Kitchen because I have moved on to Scotland. And, you know, cue the bagpipes because I am having so much fun. Awesome. Is the cookbook mostly Scottish stuff or because at least half the books take place in America? That's true. It is not a Scottish cookbook and they're really quick to say that, but there are, you know, there'll be like a passage from one of the books that references a food and then a recipe that brings it together. So there are some really British or Scottish fare in it. This is like a sausage roll recipe. There's cockaliki, which I think is Irish. I don't, I mean, they're very close. There is, I think there is a recipe for haggis or something like haggis. But there are gorgeous broths that are Mm. um, from like game, have game inspiration. There's some scones. There's a gorgeous shortbread recipe, Mm. which is my husband can't wait. Yeah. There's nettle rolls, which seems really Scottish to me. Anyway, it isn't strictly a Scottish cookbook, but it is fun Oh, I'm not questioning your choice. I'm just wondering. Yeah. And she's quick to say that in it too, that it's not a Scottish cookbook. Um, I think it's delightful. I just got it a few. Well, I guess I got it last week. I've been scrambling to do more from the Julia, Simply Julia cookbook. So I haven't cooked from this yet, but I'm really excited to do the shortbread is up first for sure this weekend. I did also... (laughs) This is sort of an on-the-table reference. I watched an Anthony Bourdain in Scotland, and he went to Glasgow, and he had deep-fried haggis with neeps and tatties, which are turnips and potatoes, that have like a gravy on top of them, which looks like a Canadian poutine dish. Mm. I don't know. He declared Scottish food to be upwards of the most sort of not heart-healthy food. (laughs) No. You can eat. It's cold then up there. He, you gotta fight off the winter chill somehow. That's right. He did venture into the highlands though to do some hunting. And that that part of the episode was really interesting because they had roasted a grouse. We see Cornish game hens here, but we don't really see grouse in our markets at all. And it was quite red like duck. And that interested me. I'm watching and absorbing. And I, I love this project because it makes me so curious about other parts of the world and other customs and traditions and, and I'm learning a ton. So anyway, shall we chat about Simply Julia? Let's do it. Okay. I think this was my book this time. So I'll do a quick little intro. She is a chef. I know she worked as a private chef for a while, and then she's had cookbooks. Um, She does a lot of food activism as well, which I really respect. And seems like this is Julia Tertian. Yes, sorry, (laughs) Julia Tertian. She of the Simply Julia. So I have two of her other cookbooks I've had for a while that I've really enjoyed. The first one, especially, is a little bit in not really kitchen hacks, but kind of cool things you can do to make your life easier and yet still super delicious. 
And then the other one I have is now and again, which is um, menus for various holidays and then what to do with the leftovers. But just, uh, you know, gatherings, kind of meals for larger groups. This one is 110 easy recipes for healthy comfort food. I knew it was coming out. And then I listened to her in conversation with Smitten Kitchen and they were just yeah. delightful. Yeah. Perlman, yeah. Um, and they just were so delightful and I really enjoyed it. And it just seemed like such an us kind of cookbook where it's delicious and easy and healthy, but not like a diet kind of book, which is kind of her, her goal with this, I think. So, so yeah, Courtney was on board with diving in. I found out about Julia Tertian through her wife, who is Grace Bonney. And Grace, for many years, had that huge website design sponge where you can still access a lot of the oh interesting the archives yeah and I always really respected that blog it was a lot of fun I felt like her social activism was was interesting and admirable and genuine and then I think where this book came from was that Grace discovered she had type 1 diabetes fairly like within I don't know the exact timeline, but within the last several years. So adult onset type one, and she really had to change her approach to food full stop, like anyone with adult onset chronic diseases do. And it's not easy to do that. It's not easy to change course midstream. And just looking through the cookbook and seeing some of the changes that they have made to how they as as a family or a couple, how they eat has been interesting and totally doable. Even here where we have monster teenagers with huge appetites. The book is really fun. It's got many lists, five lists, weeknight menus, make ahead main dishes. There's a whole section on vegan one pot, which is perfect because Monica's while her household isn't exactly vegan, there are some different parameters. Then for my house, there's 11 chicken recipes. I know that was also why when I saw that, I was like, oh, we have to do this. Great soups and stews. There's side dishes, dressings and breakfast, which I haven't even gotten to the breakfast section. I, I appreciate that Julia takes the time to talk about their philanthropy and their volunteer and and social outreach stuff in the book, as well as her own food stumbles journey. and challenge, yeah. yeah, journey. And it's it's just a really authentic cookbook about two people who share a house and a life, and other people who come through and make up their cast of characters and their pets. And but I have to say, before we jump into what we loved about this cookbook, that if you go to design sponge instagram grace has a bird camera this is for the bird nerds they have one of those cameras attached to a tree in their backyard and the birds come and eat on this tray and she gets the most incredible bird footage from her camera and it's one of my favorite things on instagram so tell me what you cooked so many things um probably my favorite was the white pizza kale Although that's kind of the one that she uses as an example. So I'm not sure if I'm just influenced by that, but it was really delicious. So it's kale. And then you top it with, I think it's ricotta and mozzarella and garlic powder. 
and maybe some red pepper as well. So it, you get that white pizza topping, but it's on kale, so it's good for you. It doesn't even matter that it's all cheese and ricotta. <laughs> and that's kind of, I think, I think she picks that partially because it is such a, a good example of her philosophy where it's, it's delicious and it's not traditionally healthy, but it is also kale. So, you know, you're eating it, then it's good. And, it, and, it, and it's comforting. And, and my family was, was all pretty into it and it's pretty simple. And so I really, I like that. And she embraces garlic powder. It's like, it has its place. What was your that favorite? Would, I have a totally different approach to this cookbook. Okay. So when we got it and I started cooking from it, I made it three recipes in and then the family was like, oh, can you make that thing X again? And I made it several times because they kept asking for it. And then when I move on to the next one, they'd ask for. So for the first time, I felt myself repeating a lot of the recipes to meet demand here at the fort. That's awesome. And so. I didn't get as deep into the repertoire as I would have liked, but man, have I cooked a lot of the, uh, I think they're pronounced arrayas. The like, Oh, I didn't get to that one. <laughs> it's the arrayas with yogurt sauce. It's basically a pita pocket cut in half filled with ground Turkey or lamb that's been seasoned. And it's, gorgeous because it has allspice in it and it's such a great flavor allspice and cumin and garlic and cinnamon really flavorful it's on page 20 I have made this three times I mean that's crazy because I've only had the cookbook for I don't know I guess a month I used my tzatziki sauce recipe because it has cucumber in it and they're fond of that around these parts but it's pretty similar to her yogurt recipe. These things cook inside the pita pocket and then you flatten them out. And I have one of those uh, panini. I have like a stovetop panini thing. So I have a big cast iron piece that goes on top of the griddle piece. And so I just move that back and forth on my griddle and press down the, the little pockets. And then they get those great grill marks and serve them hot with the yogurt sauce and they reheat beautifully in a skillet or in the oven, they get crispy again. And I do half Turkey, half lamb and everybody here loves them to the point where, like I said, I've made them on repeat several times. So that's the one that's been most requested. I think that it might be our favorite, but I have, I have two, I have three, two other contenders. Those did look delicious. The pita pockets is an issue. I have to figure out. I'm sure I can find gluten-free ones somewhere. I just haven't really investigated, but those did look pretty, pretty delicious. I got to say. I'm happy to take the, the gluten, the glutinous and the, the meat recipes for I know, <laughs> but I, I like gluten and meat, so <laughs> I will make it work sometime. What else did you guys like? So one thing actually that I've, that I have ended up kind of doing on repeat is the almond chicken cutlets that was that she created when grace was diagnosed and i've actually done some tinkering with the recipe but it's it's the basic idea of the cutlets and then she uses i think it's a mustard and mayonnaise spread on top and then uses almond flour instead of the more traditional breadcrumbs 
and I think Old Bay seasoning and bakes them and then they're delicious. And so I did them as the recipe called for because I, I mean, I have mustard, I have mayonnaise. She had a suggestion if you didn't have Old Bay and I had all those spices. So I just did that. I have almond flour because gluten-free. So of course. And so it was really delicious. And the the almond flour is just a little bit different from doing breadcrumbs or because I guess I usually use panko if I am going to bread anything. So it's just a little bit lighter and and softer and a little bit different flavor. And those were a super hit. I use chicken thighs instead of um, breasts, but she suggests you could do that. And she said, you know, you can do it with whatever. So I did some with tofu as well for, for the husband. And that was equally delicious or not. Well, I don't know. He found it equally delicious. <laughs> the rest of us yeah. stuck with the chicken. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so then I made it again but I did it with mustard, with a mustard miso base, which boy, one Yum. thought was cheese. So I feel like that was a win, <laughs> uh, <laughs> equally delicious. And then last night I just did mustard and breadcrumbs, you know, so fairly off book, but still the same idea and uh, still delicious. So that one is definitely getting into our rotation because it's super fast and, and easy and was good. And then I also um, made the fish patties, which uses canned salmon and I think ricotta. That was one of the, the ricotta adventure meals. And those were really good as well. You know, we're not, we're not a, not a huge fish household, certainly not canned fish. Well, I mean, I do tuna and stuff, but it's just not something we usually have, but I, it looked good and, and interesting and fast. And I thought I would try it. And then, and it's kind of, the thing that could be separate, right? So I could have my fish patties for me and the boys, and then I could get some veggie burgers for Simon without driving myself too crazy and making too many things have meals. And then it, she serves it with, I think, kind of a cream pea. So that one, everybody could have. So that was a really nice combination as well. And super fast. I think that was from the weeknight section as well. So I like that. I'm, I really want to try that, the mustardy crumb fish, cracker crumb fish, which sounds similar to what you did with one of your chicken variations, but I haven't tried it yet. Yeah. We're not a, these, the kids don't eat a lot of fish. So that makes it tricky. The other favorite that I've made twice is the green chili and braised chicken thigh with pinto beans. Oh, that looked good. How was that? Oh my gosh. It's so good. It is the first day. It's like a, it's almost like a chicken stew. And the second day, if you're smart enough to make a big recipe, which I absolutely have to double everything anyway, it goes beautifully into like a taco and is really nice with some pickled onion on top and a little bit mm. of feta or something like that. But on the whole, it is a solid recipe. And I think it's very easy. There's no diced onion, no smashed garlic. It's just chicken thighs seasoned with green chili and tomato and then canned it calls for canned beans which for some of you I know is sacrilege but for me it is easy and it says whatever to, works I always rinse the beans when I take them out of a can this calls for leaving the pinto beans in their liquid and and mixing it right in and it is fabulous I don't know why I thought that you had to dispose of that liquid but this is, I think um, it just so you can control the seasoning. Well, I get the 
no salt added or the low sodium anyway. And so, like I said, I've made this twice on request and it is so great. I love it with cilantro with a lot of cilantro mm. on top, or maybe like a little bit of sour cream, total, total crowd pleaser, just an awesome recipe. And I think when I got to this, when I realized how great her flavors were, this is not the, it's not the second recipe that I made, but it's definitely like, as I was moving through the, the five or six recipes that I have made two or three times each, I realized that, man, she's got her flavors really dialed in. It's, yeah. it's just kind of foolproof. They loved, cool. loved that recipe. Yeah, I'll have to revisit that one and try and figure out how to cook the chicken separately and add it in, which will it won't probably be quite as delicious, but won't be too bad. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to get around that for you. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think it's probably just cooking the chicken separately. Yeah. Her vegan chili was also quite delicious. We liked that one. And it made a ton. Even just the single recipe, I kind of gambled and I don't know why I thought that would be a good idea, but I just made a single a single recipe and it was it was plenty. We didn't have a ton left over, but we definitely had leftovers. And that had two kinds of beans. And I think I actually used the canned beans for that one as well. But yeah, great flavors. It was, it was, yeah. We were all into that one. Yeah, her her vegan ones, I tried to go through those. I felt like that was my responsibility <laughs> to do some of them. So the cauliflower tacos were also pretty cool. And I forget the garlic. I think the garlic noodles were from there as well. But um, what was your your third favorite? The green spaghetti. Oh, that was so good. So that was delicious. Good. Yeah. And so the last time that we recorded, I was talking about that green pea risotto recipe that I found in the newspaper from Chronicle. Yep. And I was, I really wanted to talk about the green spaghetti in conjunction with the Chronicle recipe because they're kind of similar. So the Chronicle one was, and now I'm totally forgetting, but basically it was green peas and something else green. I think just, I can't remember what else was in the Chronicle one. Maybe I put a handful of kale in with it and then you stir it into your risotto. Well, this one is kale and what am I doing? It's right in front of me. I think it's kale and spinach and... Kale, basil, spinach with some feta and some cream Mm. cheese and a cup of the pasta water in the food processor. And it makes a really fresh pesto-ish sauce and garlic, if you know, to your taste or what have you, I added some, a lot of kale and like the, I get this sack of power greens sometimes, you know, that's like a, mm-hmm. a mix of different greens that good for smoothies. It is just delicious. And I feel like yeah. you get 75 vegetables jam packed into the sauce and nobody's the wiser and yeah. it's so it's, delicious it's like tangy and uh-huh, it's just really you're fresh. expecting a regular kind of pesto and it's it's just so much brighter and i think that the cream cheese also just helps to like smooth it out so that it really combines well with the cream cheese is a great binder so it keeps all of those particles sort of emulsified yeah. properly so that it mixes really well with spaghetti 
or any pasta, really. I've made this a few times and I love, last time I made twice as much sauce so that I can put it on other vegetables because it's so excellent and it yeah. keeps, it keeps in the fridge. So that, that was our, like our, our other top favorite recipe from that we did on repeat. Yeah. So the cauliflower tacos, it was roasted cauliflower and red cabbage tacos. And I'm always kind of looking for new vegetarian taco recipes. So this was a good one. And she keeps it super simple. You're just roasting off the cauliflower and the cabbage together with some spices. And then she has a nice, I mean, it's basically guacamole, but it's avocado sauce to put on top. So they're, they're super simple ones, but those were really delicious as well. And then the garlic and sesame noodles with mushrooms and broccolini. Again, we have Monday night pasta night. So I'm always looking for something besides my usual tomato sauce that I usually, that's my backup. So this was a good one and it's got, you know, lots of nice vegetables in there. We all like mushrooms and my kids will put up with broccolini. So those were, those were good and, and flavorful. And her sauce combination was a little different from my, my usual one. She's got some tahini in there and chili garlic sauce. So yeah, just, you guys know, I'm, I'm a big fan of my usual, but a little different, got to tweak it. So, so this fit that bill. The whole section of dressings, dips, relishes is really great. I have only made one of those, but I really want to make that one with the tahini, the everyday dressing that she has with tahini. Yeah, I think I did make that and it was really good. And that did not make it on my list. So I haven't thought about it too much, but, but yeah, there was some really good. And I think she had a, like a buttermilk one in there as well that, mm-hmm. that I tried that was good. I did do the Swedish meatballs. Those oh, good. were a big hit for my children. And I ventured into the breakfast for the sled dog muffins because they are a gluten-free recipe. Oh, so she actually, there are a ton of gluten-free recipes in here. The gluten-free vegetarian combo is a little harder to come by. There's a section in the back where you can like look up all the gluten-free ones. Some of them like the pasta, you know, obviously you just sub out the gluten-free pasta. I think there were some of them like a, it was a spinach and mushroom pot pie that, I mean, there's puff pastry involved. It's just, I can't do anything with that. So, but there were... There were a lot of good options, even if you're complicated and trying to combine things like my household is. Um, But the sled dog muffins were really good. Very hearty. I think she made them for kind of basically an energy bite before going for a run. And they, you know, she tops them with a little jam. So they've got that that little sweetness that just makes them not feel healthy, which I think is key sometimes to getting people to eat things that are actually good for them. Well, I got my crowd to eat the zucchini, green olive, and feta fritters, which I think you guys would really like. It does call for a little bit of flour, but you could sub it out for for gluten-free. These things were fantastic. Mm. They they fry up super fast in a skillet. They go really well with a yogurt sauce, the same yogurt sauce that is called for those Arrayas hand pie things just really delicious. I think I forgot to add the cilantro that I meant to add to it. And it was still just awesome. A little bit of olive was enough to season it and feta, you know, got kind of melty and crispy around the edges of it and was just so yummy. There was nothing left over from that one. And it did fed the four of us as a side, a side dish. Oh, um, did you guys make the spinach and artichoke artichoke dip chicken bake. I did not, but it sounded delicious and 
Yes. It's on my very long list of other oh, okay. things to make from yeah. this cookbook, along Same. with this is bre breakfast nachos and yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. showing her my copy of the book with all the postmark post-its. So. All the dog ears. Yeah. Yeah. And then the the only other one that I made from start to finish was the Palm Springs Pearl Couscous and Citrus Salad, which is just a really light couscous dish. I don't know that it's a salad. I wish I had made it when I had all of those cara cara oranges because it would have mm. been excellent with a cara cara, but it was still pretty great with a regular old Valencia navel. And it had a lot of great herbs in it. And it I did it with goat cheese. It might call for feta, but I didn't have feta. So, and then I just really loved the pearl couscous. Uh, she does recommend toasting it in a pan to get a little bit more depth of flavor. And it was really easy to throw together. I also like how at the end she has, well, she has some menus, which I always love. I always love a menu makes me happy. And she has this in her other book. She has lists of seven things. So like seven ways to use leftover buttermilk, seven tips for accommodating dietary restrictions. She's sharing with you from her professional knowledge, which is, yeah. is fun. I think that her flavors were just spot on. Like yeah. you just, she just guides you through these recipes and every single one of them delivered so solidly and was really flavorful. And I have a lot of confidence in this cookbook, even for a recipe that I haven't yet tried. And I think the portion size, quite good, generous, which is <laughs> an issue for us. And also I think she gets the flavor without being too chefy, right? Because we've had cookbooks that we've loved that have developed great flavors, but it's a lot of work and time. And these are definitely home cooks, weeknight, I mean, not all of them are weeknight, but, you know, a lot of them are Doable. geared to that. We're not, yeah. you know, it's not spending all day cooking one dish. So yeah. I appreciate that. I, you know, I enjoy cooking all day as well and acting out my inner chef, but <laughs> not on a Wednesday night. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm so glad you liked it. Yeah. Mine's signed, too. I get a smell. Mine should be signed, too, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> there it is. Fun. The benefit of omnivore. Oh, I got mine from the one in Seattle where I listened to the. Oh, good. So someone else's local bookstore, but still a local bookstore. So I hope you all enjoyed that review and, you know, grab a copy from your library or local bookstore. And check or it that out. if you go to the show notes, we'll have a link to it in our bookshop.org. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I'm going to put the Outlander cookbook in there too, even though I oh, haven't yeah. cooked from it yet. It's so fun. Yeah. No, that's a fun one. <laughs> yeah. It's got a shortbread recipe. So what, what more do you need? All right. On the nightstand. Yes, we are now a bookshop.org affiliate. So <laughs> check it out. Oh, so I wanted to follow up first of all, because I don't have that many books. I don't know what I've been doing. Casting on knitting, I guess, is what I've been doing. Follow up on the Area Book Festival. So fun. I'm still listening to the recordings. That was the one that started off with Kajua Ishiguro, Ja Jesse in conversation. They were fantastic. The woman that wrote We Run the Tides had a conversation. Did you know she was married to Dave Edgars? Yes, I did. Okay. Vendela Vida. Yeah. So she was on there. I just finished listening to one for one of the books I'm going to talk about today. So it's been great. I still have a bunch more that I want to go listen to. So that was super fun. So 
do not love COVID, but I do enjoy all of the online content because I would never have gone to all of these events. And last night I listened to Stacey Abrams and Britt Bennett in conversation from bookstore uh, Mahogany Books in Washington, D.C. Because Stacey has a new thriller coming out under her own name this time. So, Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. Ticket to the event included a signed copy of the book. So I have a, a copy of her new release coming. So you'll be hearing about that soon. And, and two great writers, two great people in conversation. It was so, so awesome. So I really enjoyed that. Again, loving all the online content. Because there's, yeah, I would never, I mean, I guess maybe she was doing a tour and she'd end up here, but I don't know that I would have gone to that. So that was great. Also, on June 8th, Kevin Kwan and Lisa C. will be in conversation thanks to the West Portal Bookshop here in San Francisco. And that is a Zoom event as well. He wrote Crazy Rich Asians and Sex and Vanity, which is coming out in paperback. And Lisa C. wrote Island of the Sea Women, which both of us have discussed. So I'll put that link in the show notes so you guys can check it out and join in if you like. Um, okay, so actual books that I've listened to, well, read and listened to. The first one was an audiobook from way back. This was a reread for me, Strong Poison by Dorothy L. Sayers, which is a classic mystery. I love Dorothy L. Sayers. This is one of her Lord Peter Whimsey books, who was her main detective, England in the 20s and 30s, post-World War One. He's a the son of a duke, and so he doesn't really have to do anything, but he's really smart, so he solves mysteries. Uh, and this is the one where he meets his future wife, Harriet Vane, because she is on trial for killing her lover by poison. It starts off, they're at the trial, or at the summing up, uh, and it ends up with a hung jury. So she's going to be retried. So he has a month to solve the crime, which seems pretty open and shut. She must have done it, and he's going to save her. And it's fabulous. It's so, so good. Such a good mystery. Great characters. All of the Lord Peter Whimsey mysteries are pretty good, but the ones with Harriet Vane are pretty spectacular. She is a nice modern, modern career woman doing her own thing. And he thinks he's just going to waltz in there and she'll be super excited. And she's like, yeah, no, thank you for saving me, but I'm going to go do my own thing now. Go Harriet. Uh, so that's Strong Poison by Dorothy L. Sayers. And then I read A Dangerous Kind of Lady by Mia Vinci, which is the second in a series. I've already read one and three, so you do not need to read them in order. Arabella and Guy have been engaged since they were babies, but then Guy left the country for years and years, which Arabella found very convenient because then she could kind of turn away suitors because, oh, I'm already engaged. Guy comes back to the country and says, nope, that was my dad's deal. I don't like my dad. I'm not going to marry you. So Arabella's dad says, well, you need to get married now to someone. Find a husband. So shenanigans. I really like these books. She writes these characters that are, I guess, realistically quite modern, but they don't feel like it. They just, they feel like just really believable people. There's quite a bit of humor in these books, but they always are people that have gone through some really tough things and you can feel their pain and why they're putting up a front. And I get very emotional about these characters. It's just a really, lots of good levels. 
plus your traditional romance things, the things you look for in a romance, you're really rooting for them to, to make it work. I really like the Mia Vinci books and there's, there's one more coming out in the series. So I'm very excited for that. I'm not quite sure when, hopefully soon. I think the last one came out last year. So presumably there'll be one out shortly, right? You want to, you want a romance to come out in the summer. So I'm going to keep an eye out for that one. And then Piranesi by Susanna Clark, who wrote Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. I have never read this one, but it, it makes me curious. Did you read this, her first book? No, this one has the, the pan on the cover, right? Mm. Yep. It is wacky. I really <laughs> like, <laughs> I really like Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Uh, oh, they made a TV show that one too, which I also rather like, you know, so it's that same kind of magical weird world. Well, sorry, totally different setting, totally different characters. They're not at all connected, but that it's a fantasy book. Piranesi is a dude and he lives in this world that's just endless series of rooms and hallways, three different levels. And the top level is where it rains and the bottom level is where the oceans are. And he has explored very widely. There's statues everywhere, but he's kind of the only person. There's only one other person there who he calls the other, and that's who calls him Piranesi. And so it's all told through a series of his journals. He's writing down what's happened to him and pondering things. And we start to realize something is not quite right. The other warns him about another other coming who is out to get them. So things happen. It's very atmospheric. I really liked it. It felt much faster and less thought out than her first book. Although that book came out a while ago, so she certainly took her her time coming out with this one. Just felt faster paced and maybe not quite as as well done. The the ending, you could definitely see what was coming, but not quite how we were going to get there. So it wasn't entirely successful in some ways, but I mean... I really enjoyed it. I blasted through it. I had some questions at the end, which I always, I always kind of like. It's not, it was not all neatly tied up. So I appreciate, I appreciate that in a book. Um, so I would, I would recommend it. It wasn't terribly, I mean, it's oh, maybe 300 pages, I think it said, but it went really fast, partially because it is kind of a journal entry. So there's a lot of, a lot of white space on the page, but it was a very imaginative world and I would give it a thumbs up. And then my last one was Shadow King by Mazam. Mengist. And this is the one I listened to her as part of the Bay Area Book Festival. Um, so this book takes place in Ethiopia during the Italian invasion of 1935, 36, right before World War II, which I mean, is generally a footnote in our history books. So that part was really interesting. And it also focuses on the women that went to war. So that's also really interesting. And it was based on, I think, some of the author's grandmother or great-grandmother's recollections. So then she she went and did more research and on what was going on. It's a really heavy book. I mean, it is, it is war, it is invasion, it is colonizing, content warning for violence and sexual violence and all the other violences that you can think of. Uh, so it was a little hard to get through, but really really intensely written. I mean, it's a war book, so you might expect that. But also reminded me of Virginia Woolf because a lot of it was the interior thoughts of the characters while they're going through these really intense experiences, but then also kind of goes back to 
how they got to where they were, you know, having this experience makes me think of when this thing from my childhood. So all that, all that memory like Virginia Woolf does, but more intense because she's not sitting there knitting, <laughs> they're going into battle. So you're definitely going to have a different mind process going on. So that was The Shadow King by Maza Mengist. And that had been on my, on my list for a while. And I'm glad I finally got to that. I think it was a Booker shortlist as well. Not a good group. Me. Yeah. Okay. How about you? I have four great books for you nice. today. The first one is The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune. Yes. Such a yes. good book. I forget when you read this because it's kind of new, right? Yeah. Mm, last, I was going to say summer, fall, yeah. maybe. I think it was a summer pick for, okay. what should I read next? Last mm. year. So Excellent. I mean, within the well, past year. I think everyone should read this. This was such a great book. In a nutshell, because you, if you've been here a while, you've heard Monica's recap of it. This is the story of Linus Baker, who is a 40-year-old office guy who works for the department in charge of magical youth. So he's basically a social worker for magical kids. And this government office is really trying to sequester and control magic kids. And not just magical, but they're also just different and special. And so he goes on an assignment to this orphanage and he just, boy, I don't want to, I always do this. I, I think I want to tell the story of it. And then I also don't want to give anything away because this book was not what I expected at all. And I think that it's important because you think that you're reading some kind of hybrid Harry Potter, Miss Pettigrew's particular oh. children one. You feel like you're reading some YA book. And this is not really, I mean, this is so relevant about how we treat people and what makes people special and different and why that should be celebrated. And, and I, I feel like by retelling the story in my own words, it will diminish the overall impact of what reading the story does. And it is a great read. And it took me by so it took me by surprise. Even though I had known that you'd read it and liked it, I didn't want to re-listen to that episode mm -hmm. because by the time I had gotten to a certain point in it, I just wanted to enjoy the book, you know, and see what was going to happen. Yeah, so you definitely, you can't describe too much without ruining certain things, but yeah. I think you, you, you set it up, like you need the setup and then shenanigans ensue. Yeah. And, and just surprisingly relevant yeah. so and characters um, that just kind of break your heart but are just yeah amazing yeah yeah and when and when you were talking about your knitting one of your knitting projects I almost said something like oh that reminds me of the house in the cerulean sea and if you've read the book you know what I'm talking about and if you haven't then you need to read the book and pay attention to what Monica's knitting <laughs> <sighs> anyway yeah. I think there's that, another one coming out too. Oh, great. Uh, superb, superb writing. I, I thought that was great. Then I had picked up Vera by Carol Edgarian. 
Oh, that's who talked to Venda Levita. Excellent. I figured that's, I did look to see who was speaking at the different Bay Area events. And so I did add a couple books to my list, but I think Vera has been on my list on my like hold queue for a little while. So that was the problem with the book festivals that my already ridiculous to be our, to be read list is like, okay, I got to read that one too. It's never a bad thing. No. So Vera is the main character in this novel that takes place in 1906, which is when San Francisco had, well, our last bad earthquake was in 1989, but there was a big one and terrible ensuing fires in 1906. And this story takes place right before, during, and after the quake. Vera has two mothers and... Normally, if you said that about a San Francisco kid, you would think that her parents were married. This is not the case with Vera. She has two mothers because one decided that she had to keep her a secret and the other mother is her like surrogate. And she loses one of them in the quake. She's 15 at the time and she needs to figure out how to survive in this messy city post-quake. She has like major survival techniques and she is scrappy and she makes allegiances and she, she is just like a pull up her bootstraps and get to work. There are some great nuggets about San Francisco history. There's interesting and disturbing bits about how we treated the Chinese population after that quake and just the discrimination that happened even in the middle of a crisis. That wasn't delightful at all, but it was important to remember and I'm glad it was a part of the narrative. You know, we're San Francisco people, so it was really fun to read about our city and it definitely takes place downtown Marina Pack Heights. It is, it's not in my corner of the city and they maybe ride a buggy through yours. <laughs> it's about it out through Golden Gate Park. I don't um, think there was very much in my neighborhood at that point. Yeah. Sand yeah. dunes. So. Exactly. Well, mine was a cow pasture then. So. Yeah. so it was a really interesting, very fast paced read action happening, of course. And then the struggles that this girl has to go through to, to see through this crisis. Really well done. Then I... Listen to His Bloody Project, which is by Graham McRae Burnett. Oh, I read that one. This is for Scotland. And I was I was able to grab it on audiobook because the list for it is still like pretty hefty to to get the physical copy. This is a story that takes place in Scotland on the Apple Cross Peninsula in 1869. And it is about a boy who, a 17-year-old boy who is a crofter's son, which means that his dad leases a parcel of land that is owned by, and I might get this wrong, owned by a laird, and they, they have to work the farm, and then they can keep some of what, some of the food that they grow, but a lot of it goes to the to the laird and then they owe rent on top of it it's not a good deal for them yeah no it's not and it's a miserable life and there are not a lot of choices for him except that one of his teachers says that he's wildly smart 
he loses a mother and it's him and his sister and their little siblings and then a not so jovial father and they are like eking out this existence and the the book opens with him being imprisoned for committing murder and the his solicitor his attorney has asked him to write out his account so a large portion of the book is his own written account of what happened and so you think that you have this solid picture of the event and then there are secondary and tertiary pieces of information like sort of the medical examiner's report and the at the time there was this alienist psychologist guy whack job who knows where he was getting his science from nobody's a terribly reliable narrator no that's perfect that's a perfect summation for this book nobody is reliable in this book no one and so in the end you have far more questions than you do answers but i think why it is kind of fun and now that i'm watching like a scottish drama or things like that about scotland they really love their crime stuff their crime novels and that kind of thing and it uh plays into that is this true crime because you have all of this sort of evidence or is it a fictional retelling and it you get tripped up even because the boy's last name is the last name of one of the author. I mean, his name is Roddy McRae yeah. and the author's name is McRae Burnett. And so you're just sort of confused the whole time. And it is good confused. It was yeah. really- And I mean, it's kind it of all set up as documents, right? Like there's his statement and there's the witness statements and the- Hard to tell for me because I listened oh, right, to- right the audio version and they were good about saying like they would interject and do the narrator would interject and give like a footnote but it was more it more felt like the interjections were meant to discredit the alienist i Mm. don't know yeah anyway really worthwhile listen while i was painting bagpipes and that kind of thing (laughs) and then my favorite of this batch was the winter sea by susanna kersley Monica, this is a book for you. Okay. This was so good. So good. This is book one of the Slain Castle series. Oh. (laughs) I think there are only two. Well, so far. Um, This is like a time traveling romance. Oh, my. I know Diana Gabaldon wrote the like preface for it she's oh yeah you're gonna love it so this takes place in present day and in 1708 scotland along the eastern eastern northernmost tip um where there's a castle a ruin of a castle called slain's and this author goes, present day, goes to Slane's to visit her, her, her editor. And she is like transfixed with this castle. And come to find out, she knows a little something in her DNA about this <laughs> place. And so she decides to take her book to Scotland. And she parks herself near the castle. And so she's feverishly writing this book. And there are these 
Um, her landlord has two sons who are charming and funny and handsome. And of course, that is a, a great distraction from her, her romance novel that she's writing and then, or historical romance novel about the Jacobite and exiled Scottish king, the Stuart King who's exiled in France. Oh my gosh, really fun. So what I loved about this was how she moves back and forth in time and how the energy of her writing process translates so well into the reading process of the book fantastic and I can't wait to read her second book for that alone the other thing that I really loved about it was that when one of the characters like the old landlord is speaking I think it's Doric is the old language of Scotland which is English but hard to understand she says something like if you just sort of read it fast or read it out loud you can kind of make out what it means you know and it would slow me down, like trying to figure out what his sentences mm. meant. And then I would read it out loud and it, it was just delightful, delightful. Cool. Great book. I can't wait for the second one. And that's Winter, The Winter Sea by Susanna Kersley. So good. Awesome. Well, I can, I can use that for my read something that Courtney recommended for summer bingo, if... That is still on there. I don't know. Courtney has not told me what she has done with our bingo card. Yes, it so, is still on there. Oh, good. I figured it must be. So summer bingo, it is back. It will start Friday, May 28th, which is the beginning of the Memorial Day weekend holiday here in the U.S. And it will end September 6th, which is Labor Day here in the U.S. That is a Monday. So you have lots of time to do all of your bingoing. You will, this is not change, need to post a photo of your bingo card with its completed row or column or diagonal or blackout, whatever you choose, with the hashtag CCRR Summer Bingo 2021 to Instagram. Yes, I can find it with the hashtag as long as we are following you. And I will like your post as well. So make sure that happens. If for some reason those don't happen, make sure that we are able to follow you. You can always us on Instagram as well if, if for some reason we are not seeing that post. Uh, you can also put it on our Ravelry group if that is a safe space for you. That is Craft Cook Read Repeat on Ravelry. You'll get an entry for your first completed row, column, you know, line of whatever way. And then I, I haven't actually discussed this with Courtney, but uh, second entry if you do a blackout. Sure. Sure. All right. So we'll have to keep the more the merrier. Yeah. Yeah. You can also post photos of your, what you're working on. That is optional, but we do love to see things and tag those as well. So we can admire and offer congratulations and an ooh and ah in general. We've, we've had great interactions with people in the past about things like their favorite heirloom recipe or a, a book recommendation or, you know, just, it's just, um, I think what, especially last year was really excellent about bingo was this very doable project that gave a little bit of structure to the summer. And in a way that even if you're not a knitter or not an artist or not a crafter, you could still get a bingo by reading or by cooking. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to make this work for you. And so the organization of it is sort of a win, win, win. If you're no matter what, how you like to spend time 
your free time. So, and we have tried to make them fairly open-ended and if you mm-hmm. think it counts, then it counts. We are not yeah. trying to be super rule-based here. We want it to be fun. We want it to be easy. Maybe stretch yourself a little bit, but if not, that's cool too, right? It's summer. You you do you. Absolutely. So, so what, we're keeping so What have you done? So we're keeping a lot of the favorites like starting a new project and finishing a new project for the for the crafter types. We're still, you know, focusing on summer recipes for the cooking things, the you know, the picnic or farmers market type thing. And we are still we're still keeping an author of color for our reading. I mean, we're always trying to promote authors of color, cookbook authors included. And then Monica had a couple suggestions this year about having a collaboration, some kind of collaborative project. And that could be like cooking with your kid or crafting with your kid or sending a project back and forth or with your, with a grandparent or a friend or a fellow podcaster, if you will. And then she also had a great one that I loved about reviewing a podcast and it doesn't have to be ours, although we would totally love that and we'll take it, but it's, it's hard to be a podcaster sometimes when it's, when things are quiet and the reviews make it possible for people to find us. So if there's a podcast that you have just recently discovered, you know, share it with other people or write a review about it and, um, and let us know. So there's some new pieces in some pieces that are staying and, and I'm just trying to decide which pieces I'm going to kick to the curb. (laughs) I never, ever did that kitchen dance party, which I had attempted, you know, I think two years in a row, but this is our third annual bingo sheet and we hope you will play along. So to get the bingo sheet, it will be in our Instagram stories. Yes. So you can, if you are technical get it from there screenshot then you can it'll be in the it'll be in the highlights highlights okay it'll be in the stories first and then in the highlights and you can screen grab it and then tick off the boxes um digitally or or you can email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com or dm us somewhere on ravelry or instagram but we will need an email and then we can email you a copy of the pdf so we will need some sort of email address to make that happen. Right. And it's fun to print it off full size. And I keep them in the back of my planner from, from that, whatever that year is, because I always have a giant list on the back about, Oh, we should try this next year. And it's fun. They're sort of uh, time capsules in and of themselves. Yeah. Just, so just once you've got a row completed or you can show us what you're working on, you know, check them off, take a picture, put it on Instagram or Ravelry and hashtag it CCRR summer bingo 2021. And this information and the dates um, will all be in the show notes at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. I haven't said that in a while. It's all at the end of the episode. If you keep listening, it will say that, but it will be there and you can find the information. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll keep repeating it. Yeah. Till this thing ends. So you're going to hear this for a while. And you will be able to say it yourself, probably. So I am looking forward to it. I've been kind of planning some things. Yeah, it does figure help out me. how it's going to work with my other nalongs that are happening. Yeah. It helps me fit in 
projects that I wouldn't normally fit in, I think. Cool. All right. Well, yeah. we have chatted. There was a lot of chatting for all the all the non cooking I did this this time and non reading. <laughs> but uh, okay. So until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf. That's C O R T N E Y S F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.